I am a football coach as well as a former member of the Bay Area Sports Media. Today, Super Bowl 58. What actually happened? What the heck went wrong for the 49ers? What did I see after breaking down all of the game film? That is what we are going to do today. I really struggled on how to, well, I shouldn't say I struggled too bad, but I definitely had some difficulty going about how I would do this show in terms of like an outline. How would I break this game down? How would I come to, like I said, in that first episode, I promised you all on that podcast, I would come up with high level analysis, concrete conclusions about what happened. Now, listen, there is no show, no media outlet, unless you know, Kyle Shanahan is getting on a podcast and telling you exactly what happened based off their scheme, XYZ. We'll never, ever fully know the 100% clear story on what happened, but we can get pretty close. I'm going to use my football expertise, my knowledge to the best of my ability to give you the best picture of what happened possible. So, How are we going to do this? Well, what we're going to do here is I have broken down the entire game. It took a while. I'm going to be perfectly honest with y'all. And it's not shocking, right? Like when I break down game film at Laney College when I coached linebackers, that stuff would take a while. A typical week for us would look like this. We'd have practice Monday through, and and let's say this is for a Saturday away game. We'd have practice Monday through Friday, walk through Friday, game Saturday, come back Sunday, meet for eight hours, then be at practice again on Monday. So watching film properly takes a lot of time. Yes, eight hours, sometimes more on a Sunday, depending on the week, right? Breaking down a game takes a lot of time. It takes, I would say for this game, it took me a total of somewhere around four hours to break it down, play by play, each and every play, looking at each and every play with a critical eye, um, trying to find the story of what happened in this game. So what we're going to do is we're going to go drive by drive. And uh, obviously it's no fun to relive this game. It was not fun to, I mean, it was fun to break it down, right? I always enjoy finding the the real story of what happened in football, right? As a coach, you live to do that. You live to watch the film, but it was very painful. There's missed opportunities, you know, all across the board at multiple times in the game. Felt like they gave a lot away to the Kansas City Chiefs, but before I wax poetic here, I'm just going to get right into the very first drive. So this drive, as everybody knows, ends with a Christian McCaffrey fumble, missed opportunity for the 49ers to put points up on the board early. It hurts. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going around on the Twitter, 
or X or whatever you call it, you know, regarding, you know, the clip of George Kittle talking with um, Carl Loftus and, and cracking a joke while the fumble happened. For my, you know, it's, it's tough to see that because you know George Kittle is, number one, better than that, right? But number two, that's also who George Kittle is, right? And I never heard, uh, this This could just be me, right? It could be my Twitter um, echo chamber, right? But I never heard one time in all the years that George Kittle has been a 49er that anybody complained once about his personality, the way he does things, the way he plays the game of football. But based off one clip, now certain people are turning on him. I, I just, I, that doesn't jive with me. I, I don't get that. Yes, he should have blocked until the end of the whistle. But if you have a problem with George Kittle's blocking, show me a tight end who blocks better than he does. I mean, George Kittle, I saw somebody on Twitter calling him a glorified right tackle. Do you realize that's a compliment for a tight end to be likened to a tackle in the way, an offensive tackle in the way he blocks? That is one of the highest compliments you might be able to give a tight end. On top of it, he's such a threat in the passing game. As we know, such a great sneaky athlete with his size and all that. So once again, McCaffrey fumbles. It stinks. We lose out on points, but... Kansas City's first drive is a three and out, and the D-line is the story here for me. They set the tone early. It would be a theme throughout the game. It was really the D-line that fueled the monstrous defensive performance that the 49ers put out in Super Bowl 58. They did their job. They played well enough for 95% of the game. Uh, to be Super Bowl champions, obviously late, they you know gave it gave up some points, some poor calls in my opinion. We'll get to that, but for for my money, the D line was the story here, and the D line was dominant. They got Mahomes off his game early and often. Mahomes, I, I tell you what, watched every single play. Mahomes was playing about as bad of a game without throwing an interception or turning the ball over before he actually threw that interception in the second half as you could play you factor in the interception up until that pick in the second half right around that time I would even say more accurately up until the fumble on the punt return it's not a muff by Ray Ray McLeod hit the heel of one of his players foot one of his teammates foot and he tried to recover it couldn't recover it Chiefs score a touchdown in the next play. You hate to see it. But up until that fumble in the second half, Mahomes was playing his worst he's, he'd probably ever played in a Super Bowl up until that point, maybe even in the playoffs. I mean, he had open guys downfield, wasn't hitting them. The D-line was getting in his grill. It was absolutely affecting him. He had throws that were off the mark. He was It was Borderline a failing grade up until that point. But Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes just needs that little bit of a spark to get him going, apparently. And we'll get to that point in the game. But again, three and out to start. Next drives for San Francisco. Drive number two. The offensive line kills this drive with penalties. 
kind of kill before it even gets started. It is a looks like a seven play drive that started out promising, but penalties again. O line also setting a theme early for what would come, and obviously it's well documented on the internet, the shortcomings of the offensive line in critical junctures in the game, and that will come later on. All right, Kansas City drive number two. Another short-lived drive. This was only a four-play drive, and the D-line doing its thing once again, setting the tone. Really, really great performance by the D-line. Next drive, San Francisco gets a field goal. Um, This is the drive where at the end, uh, Purdy fails to connect with Debo on that deep post. For me, this was kind of a microcosm and, and kind of a precursor to how I feel the 49ers offseason should go. And I think this is kind of a peek into where the Niners kind of fall short. I want to preface this by saying I love Debo Samuel. He has been incredible for the 49ers going back to 2019. He had obviously that monster season that got him paid. This season, you know, last season, kind of a disappointment this season. He was absolutely very productive for them. You know, most notably that that Eagles game where he absolutely went crazy. When the ball is in Debo Samuel's hands, there's few players more special than him. He's essentially a running back out in the middle of the field and breaking tackles, physical, everything you could possibly want in a receiver. But when the ball is not in Debo's hands, it is a much different story. And I say this as somebody who's watched the film all season long, every play on the coach's film, and in an offense where you have Ayuk playing with the highest motor you could possibly imagine, every single play blocking 50 yards downfield on the regular, on top of being a top-flight wide receiver who had a career year over 1,300 yards on only 75 catches. You have that. You have Kittle, who is physical, blocks well, all effort. Juice, McCaffrey, Purdy. You have an offense that has the right mentality to win it all. When you look at Debo's game and you look at the big picture across all the games this season and even in the Super Bowl, the guy is just a different player when the ball is not in his hands. He gives a different level of effort. He doesn't give the same effort that Brandon Ayuk gives. Just doesn't. And this is something if Debo Samuel was right in front of my face right now, I would have no problem telling that to him because it's the truth. The film is the film. It doesn't lie. And I could pull up multiple examples of where he is not giving the level of effort the guys around him are giving. If I'm Brandon Ayuk, I'm in a contract year. I see my teammate, Debo Samuel, who's getting paid like a top-tier wide receiver, the kind of money I want to make as a wide receiver. And I see the lack of effort he's giving on plays where the ball's not in his hands. I see, and then he's rewarded 
by getting twice as many targets as me, me being Brandon Ayuk, and we lose the Super Bowl, and they fail to get the ball to me, it's no wonder that he's frustrated, right? That's how I would feel if I was in his shoes. I can't tell you that's how Brandon Ayuk feels, um, but it is certainly plausible to think that, you know, for everything he's given to be featured so little in the game plan while Debo Samuel, who's not giving the same effort, not winning his routes like Brandon Ayuk's winning his routes, it is a tough deal. That's got to make him feel some type of way, I would imagine. All right, so that being said, that's not the whole story for me here. The one thing that the Niners offense is really lacking for me is at the wide receiver position. Not ability. Obviously, Debo and B.A. are incredible wide receivers. No doubt about it. But they're missing size at the receiver position. I mean, you look at Joe Burrow in Kansas City, and he's got two, you know, trees at the at, at wide receiver one and wide receiver two in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Those dudes are essentially, quote-unquote, open on every play because their catch radius is so big. Corners, they are usually just not as big as those guys, right? They're not, usually don't have that size. There are some corners out there that are pretty tall. Shout out to Nishan Wright of the Cowboys, obviously former Eagle. Uh, 6'4". Shawnee is is very tall, so you know I don't think any jump balls are going to get one over his head. But most corners, although they like taller, lankier, longer corners these days, they're not, you know, they're not 6'3", 6'4". So if you're talking about winning the 50-50 balls or if you're throwing a ball up and hoping your guy makes a play, like for my money, I, you know, Brandon Ayuk does a decent, like, does a really, really good job for his size. I, I can't take anything away from BA for his size, for where he was drafted, for being a Juco product. Shout out to him. He has maximized every ounce of his game at this level. I, I don't know how he could be better with what he's got to work with. Uh, I can't sing his praises enough, but the fact remains. Brandon Ayuk's not a tall dude, right? He's not a guy who's going to go up and win 50-50 balls like a Jamar Chase, uh, like a Justin Jefferson, like some of the bigger you know, names in the game over the last two decades, like a Megatron, like a T.O., um, like a Larry Fitzgerald. And the only receiver with size on the offense is Kittle. So, if you look at all the great quarterbacks, most of them have had a guy they could just throw it up to. Kelsey, I mean, if you look at Mahomes, Kelsey is, his catch radius is similar to Gronk, right? So big, so long. You cover the guy the guy one-on-one and you just throw a three flies up, jump ball. I'm putting my money on Kelsey to bring, bring it down every time. So when you see that big post down the field to Debo, and he doesn't make it happen, doesn't come down with it. Yes, there was contact. Yes, there was an arm bar. But that's an opportunity, or that that's a scenario where you'd like to see somebody with a bit more size or just see the receiver come down with a 50-50 ball. That's the one thing the Niners really didn't do this year offensively, and it's personnel-based, right? So it's nothing against them. 
but it's not an offense built off quote unquote 50, 50 balls. You don't see a lot of goal line fades where Purdy just throws it up to the corner pylon and trusts his guy to go make a play. Although I feel like maybe George Kittle deserves a few of those, but it's a low percentage play. Like I won't dive too, too into it, but I'm not, I'm not mad that Kyle Shanahan doesn't drop goal line fades or um, plays that just, you know, scream. uh, We're going to give our guy a shot. Like he believes in scheming guys open on every single play. He doesn't leave things up to chance. That's why he's a great coach and yields great results over the course of his season. So, you know, obviously, if you're going to call out a player, you better be confident in what you're saying. I am confident in what I'm saying. I, I If Debo gave the effort that Brandon Ayuk gave, uh, I think the offense would be that much better. I really do. I think, you know, there would be, maybe it maybe would have been a different result in Super Bowl 58. There's definitely, a, a, you know, other things that are way more important, but it's hard to watch every week. And you watch Debo not give that same effort on a week-in and week-out basis. I'm not the only one who sees it. If you look at other people who break down 49ers film, they see it as well. I can only hope going into next year, if he's still on the team, which probably will be, right, that maybe he changes that part of his game. All right, so now we are on to drive. So that drive stalls out. It's 3-0 San Francisco, Jake Moody field goal. And now the next drive, Mahomes comes back. Insane deep throw from Farhash down the field. Gibson loses his man in coverage. The very next play, Pacheco puts the ball on the ground thanks to uh, Lenore Demo getting his hand on the football, ripping it out. That dude is an all-pro, in my opinion. He, I don't think he got all-pro. I'm very confident he didn't get all-pro. I don't even know if he made the Pro Bowl. But that dude is every bit as good as Charvarius Ward. Char, those two are all-pro corners. And it's that much more sickening how good those guys were, and they didn't get it done. Not them specifically, but the Niners didn't get it done for them. No fault of their own. The corners played an A-plus game, in my opinion, and showcased right there, Demo getting his hand on the ball, making a game-changing play, taking the ball away. Niners get the ball back. All right, so we're on to San Francisco's fourth drive of the game. At this point, Kansas City's run defense starts to assert itself. For the Niners' standards, they definitely didn't run the ball as well as they would have hoped. I think McCaffrey averaged something like 3.6 yards a carry. Definitely not up to par for him. They really had trouble running the ball, you know, tight flow, so to speak. What is tight flow for a linebacker? um, Flow describes the direction of the ball, right, in the running back's hands. If it's A-gap around the center or or B gap, uh, that's you know tight flow or direct flow, and then you go outside the tackle, that's full flow, right? You you, you see everybody's flowing one way or the other. So when the Niners ran between the tackles, they really had to fight for every yard they got, like every yard they got, and that's a credit to the the Chiefs' defensive line, their linebackers. They came to play. They have some real deal run stoppers. 
on their D-line. Highlighted by number 69, Mike Pennell. He had an unbelievable game. Dude is 32 years old, and he was giving Trent Williams problems. He was giving the interior problems. That dude was born to stop the run. I don't know how many sacks he had on the year. I'm going to pull it up right now. He had zero sacks on the year. And you might look at D-line stats, and you might say, well, how many sacks does he have? Uh, it's not the whole story, right? This is where the stats fall short, and the film is the real deal, what really paints the picture. Because for my money, I would give anything for the Niners to have Mike Pennell on their D-line next year. He has no sacks. He's always going to be in on rundowns. But my goodness, does that guy control the line of scrimmage. The best scheme, run scheme, the Niners had all day was any kind of toss play where they went full flow, like we said, outside the tackles. Any kind of toss or pitch play where they got their O-line out and running in space is where they had success the most. I I would venture to guess they averaged like six, seven yards of carry when they ran toss. And later in the game, they started to go a little bit more to it. I wish they would have gone a little bit more on top of that. But they did do a good job. I think Shanahan did a great job of he recognized that toss was working. He went to it more late in the game. It did work out for him in that sense. But again, Kansas City's D-line came to play. Their linebackers came to play. Not much doing between the tackles. All right, on to Kansas City drive number four. Score is still 3-0 49ers. Another three and out for Mahomes and company. Again, the D-line making Mahomes uncomfortable, up in his grill, clearly affecting Mahomes once again. So three and out there, we go to San Francisco's fifth drive of the game, and this is the Jawan Jennings trick play throwback for a touchdown to CMC. Nothing came easy for the 49ers all game. They, they they didn't have any big-time explosive plays. They didn't, for every time they scored, they had to drive down the field, which they're built to do, no doubt. But again, part of playing great defense is eliminating or at least limiting the quote-unquote chunk plays. You might hear that term chunk play often if you listen to coaches talk or a broadcast, something of that nature, We categorize at Laney College chunk plays as plays of 25 yards or more. Now, why are chunk plays important? Well, statistically speaking, the more chunk plays you get, the higher chances of you winning. I think there's a stat that came out at the college level some years ago that if you don't get at least four chunk plays a game, your chances of winning are very, very, very slim. So when you limit an offense to no chunk plays uh, or very little chunk plays, it makes life very hard for them. They have to execute at a very, very high level to put up big points on the board. The Niners, thankfully, I think one of the things they do extremely well, better than most, is if they have to put together a 10 to 12 play drive to score a touchdown, they're very much capable of doing it. They have that high level of execution. The drawback to that is... 
It is a dangerous way to live in terms of the turnover margin. You know, defensive philosophy at the next level. How do defensive coordinators think? Most defensive coordinators start off by saying, we're going to eliminate the chunk plays. No explosive plays. We're going to, if you're going to score, we're going to make you drive down the field, take time off the clock and earn it. The more plays a team has to go to score on any given drive, technically speaking, that is that many more opportunities for the defense to get a takeaway, a tip ball, a fumble, an interception, something of that nature. That is how these defensive coordinators think by and large. Spagnolo, I think, is different, but that is what makes him great because he plays a little bit riskier coverage. He's not afraid to push the chips in where he sees fit. For example, his game plan, similar to the last time the Niners played the Super Bowl, was to make Brock Purdy throw the ball, right? And, and stop the Niners' running attack. And it it definitely worked to a certain extent. I mean, he limited, the, limited them to 22 points. Certainly there were opportunities there, but the Kansas City Chiefs, like they knew how to shut it down when they needed to most, right? Like I said, nothing came easy for the Niners in this game offensively. They had to grind for all their points, grind on all their scoring drives, nothing easy. So again, we get that trick play, Niners feeling good, Kansas City down 10 to nothing as they start their fifth drive. 11 play drive that results in a sack. They are in good enough field position to get a field goal here, cut the Niners lead to 10 to three. I believe that was that long Butker field goal. We all wish would have went like wide left or wide right, but it didn't. He's nails in the playoffs. That's why he's the Kansas City Chiefs kicker for the foreseeable future. Score 10 to three. Chiefs cannot convert on a 13 play drive. So now we've reached halftime. According to my notes, Kansas City Notably deferred to start the game, so they receive the ball to start off the second half. Scores 10-3. Patrick Mahomes scrambles, throws the interception to Jair Brown. Niners are on cloud nine. They believe that they're going to, this is the moment where they take control of the game. It's the dream scenario for having lost the opening coin flip, right? The Niners love to live in a world where they defer, They try to double up near the half. It's a huge advantage to defer the opening kickoff. Falls apart for the Kansas City Chiefs on third and long. Niners get the ball, and unfortunately, the Niners are not able to capitalize. Again, this is another scenario or instance. This drive, it was killed by the offensive line. Penalties, false starts. Bad O-line play kills a a golden opportunity for the Niners to take a two-score lead. Just with even just with a field goal, 13-3, you're feeling good about a two-score lead against the Kansas City Chiefs versus a one-score lead. Now they punt it away. They give it right back to the Chiefs. Once again, the Niners come back and shut down the Chiefs three and out, punting the ball away back to San Francisco again. The D-line continues to be the story with a huge stop on third and short by Javon Kinlaw. They're going to miss Javon Kinlaw. I thought 
you know, for a guy that was drafted and where he was drafted, he was a high number one pick. And obviously he had his ups and downs with San Francisco, but he saved his best ball for what will probably be his final year with the 49ers coming up with that unreal play. He was arguably their best run stopper all postseason. He has great power. He's got long arms. He can reset the line of scrimmage. That's something a lot of the other guys in the D-line room could not do. Armstead, you know, played a good game, but obviously not playing at 100%. Played with a torn meniscus, and that can't be fun. I think they announced he's having surgery, so I, we can only hope that he gets better. He's a very important piece for the 49ers D-line. But once again, Javon Kinlaw, he deserves his flowers. He came in and was productive useful member of the D-line, a disruptive force when they needed it most without Javon Kinlaw. Who knows where that 49ers run defense ends up. So three and out, stop on third and short by Kinlaw. D-line continues to be the story. All right, San Francisco drive number eight. Again, we're into the second half. We're into the third quarter. Another three and out. Brock Purdy trying to make too much happen on first down, setting up second and long. That is the play where they threw it short to Jawan Jennings behind the line of scrimmage. It seemed like Jawan Jennings was, you know, it, if you looked at the replay at the time, he almost kind of, it almost looked like he was half thinking about dropping it just to avoid the loss, but then he just held on to it. So that weird in-between land. So right off the bat, first and 10, you're taking a loss. The Kansas City Chiefs love to live in a world where they're dealing with second and forever, and the Niners could not recover from that first down blunder, and it resulted in a three and out of their own. Now, Kansas City drive number eight, score still 10 to three. Kansas City's inability to run in Mahomes off his game stalls another drive. Again, up until this point, Mahomes is having one of the worst games I can remember seeing him play. You know, you, you watch a lot of quarterback film. The, the real beauty of watching film is having something to compare players to when they're not playing well. So, for instance, if you're trying to figure out, okay, is Brock Purdy going to be a great quarterback in this league? Well, he might have a play where he doesn't see an open receiver, doesn't get the ball to an open receiver. Well, the one thing that this game really solidified for me, Pat Mahomes is so talented that he can overcome so much more than Brock Purdy could overcome if Brock Purdy was playing a bad game. He has so much talent, so much ability in his arm, his legs, so many ways he can hurt you that he doesn't have to be Tom Brady between the ears and who knows, he might be a brilliant individual and he might be surgical and he might be all that smart. I don't know him. I couldn't tell you. But what the film tells me is that he's not that surgical, Manning, Brady type quarterback. He's very much an extend the play type guy, as we know, right? His arm is able to do things pretty much every other quarterback in the league cannot do. His He's able to gain yards with his legs like no other quarterback in this league, just in the manner in which he does it. His talent wins football games alone. It is beyond offensive play calling. 
right? So as good as Andy Reid is, don't get me wrong, Andy Reid is a heck of a play caller. And maybe one of the greatest offensive minds of all time, and the results kind of speak for themselves there. But for my money, if you have Pat Mahomes, you are going to have offense just based off his talent alone. And therein lies, for me, the true value, all-time value of Pat Mahomes. Mind you, the Kansas City receivers barely did anything in this game. Ward and Demo shut it down on the outside. But the difference also was Travis Kelsey, who is, I know George Kittle had more yards than him in this year. George Kittle is the second best tight end in the league. I'm going to be fully honest here, and I thought, oh, this is the year that he leapfrogs Kelsey and proves that he's number one top dog at the tight end position. And while George Kittle is an all-pro in so many ways, Kelsey, and and listen, Kelsey is basically, for my money, a glorified, just a big-bodied receiver. He doesn't block like George Kittle. George Kittle blocks like a right tackle, I'm going to say he is the best blocking tight end in the league. Whereas Kelsey, you watch him block, it's it's really nothing special. They certainly don't center the offense around Kelsey blocking in the run game. They just don't. Whereas the 49ers obviously make it a point to put Kittle and Trent Williams on the same side to open up running lanes. Kelsey, though, for, for everything he lacks run blocking— He is Hall of Fame in the passing game. The chemistry that he and Mahomes have is similar to Montana and Rice. I mean, I hate to say it, that might might make your ears bleed just to hear, but the feel that they have for one another when Mahomes drops back, Kelsey is running any kind of route. His ability to find the soft spot in the defense is Hall of Fame worthy. And he has this huge, monstrous frame that is going to win against anybody who covers him. The Niners had the right game plan. They pressed Kelsey at the line for most of the game. That's the only way you can defend him and just hope the D-line gets home. And the D-line was getting home and they were off their game. And it forced Mahomes to find other targets besides Kelsey. And it was resulting in three points up until the third quarter. I mean, the Niners defense was balling. They were doing exactly what they wanted to do. Everything was going according to plan. But again, for my money, Kelsey, again, that is the only way you can contain him. You could just hope that he doesn't break out of his route before the D-line gets home. But if you give Mahomes time, and if you give Kelsey time to go find the soft spot in the defense, it's pretty much wraps. And you look at the final line, I believe Kelsey had over 90 yards receiving. It just goes to show the Niners ran the perfect game plan. And there's a few areas where I feel like they stumbled a little bit. There was one catch where they completely just didn't cover Kelsey, right? There was confusion in coverage, and that led to Kelsey springing free. That's going to result in yards every time. And then on the play that resulted in, I forget what down it was, but it was late in the game is when the Chiefs were driving to either tie or take the lead late in regulation. And it was that route over the middle and up the sideline by Kelsey where Warner was, Warner had him pressed up at the line of scrimmage, except he didn't put hands on Kelsey. And that is the cardinal sin 
And listen, that's the shortcomings of putting a linebacker who doesn't play man coverage, who never puts his hands at the line of scrimmage on any type of receiver, trying to do that against Kelsey. I think they have the right idea. I think if it were me, I would try to find a way for a safety to be that guy because a safety is going to be better at putting hands on a tight end or pressing a tight end at the line than a linebacker. And I believe they did that at times throughout the game. But again, critical juncture in the game. They put Warner on him. Warner doesn't get hands. Kelsey springs free. It's routes on air. And they're getting gashed up the sideline. And it's those fine details that win or lose you football games at the very end of the day. So again, at this point in the game, this is a long drive by the Kansas City Chiefs that results in another stalled effort. Results in only three points. It's 10-6. At this point in the game, Kansas City's inability to run the football was very evident during this game. They tried to run trap. They really they ran trap quite a few times. Kind of worked at times, but overall, kind of a failure of a run scheme. Running the football overall was a failure for them. It, it definitely never really got going. So the Niners, if there were questions about their run defense, they were answered in full. In the Super Bowl, again, D-line, they get the highest grade of any position group on the 49ers, players or coach. They deserve to win a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it was not enough. So, San Francisco drive number nine, the score is 10-6. to It is another three and out. This third quarter was a third quarter they'd like to forget. Really, really tough sledding. And Brock Purdy looking shaky at times. It was kind of an up and down game for him. We'll get into what I thought of Brock Purdy's play later on. The following drive, another three and out. Defense balling into the third quarter, doing everything they're supposed to do. And then you have the incident on punt return where the ball goes off the heel of a 49er player in front of Ray Ray McLeod. The Chiefs recover and on one play... They go up 13-10. to 10. The 49ers shell-shocked. It was a confusion in coverage on that play, on that very first play. I couldn't figure out what they were doing in coverage. You had the safety on that side, try to roll down and cover the back. You had Ward playing on the outside like he was looking to exchange routes. I believe they ran like a vertical switch or something of that nature. And it looked like he was trying to exchange routes with Jair Brown. And I don't know if... It was, a, it was definitely a busted coverage on some front because Brown rolls down to cover the running back, Ward's on the outside to cover the new number one on the outside, and then inside, the the route springs free for the touchdown. So that's what offenses do off a big play, off a sudden change. They like to go hit you right away because usually the defense is disoriented in shell shock, so to speak, off the turnover. They're, they just stopped Mahomes. They're getting off the field, and then they're right back on, forcing to have to think critically you know, right off the bat, and that's what happens. That is, Those are momentum-changing plays, and for my money, that is the point where everything changed in this game. It was kind of a stalemate in that third quarter. Again, the Niners were leading up until that point, 10-6, to and that's when Mahomes and company really started to get it going. They only scored six points up until that point, They went on to score 19 for the rest of the game in a quarter and a half, and then including some in overtime, obviously, to win the game. 
But that is that was the turning point for me in the game where things started to go a little bit awry for the 49ers. But to the 49ers' credit, they go on an 11-play drive ending with that Jawan Jennings touchdown. What more can you say about Jawan Jennings? I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any 49er fan, any 49er player, coach, anybody that has anything to do with the 49ers have a bad thing to say about Jawan Jennings. That guy, it, it's, it's sickening because what a postseason effort he had from that big one-handed grab in the NFC Championship game off the Purdy scramble to that big catch over the middle in the Packers game to the touchdown pass and reception in Super Bowl 58. I'm absolutely sick for, for J.J. It's really, it, it, so many guys deserve to win a Super Bowl on this team, but I tell you, life's not fair. Football is not fair, and football is just like life, right? So if you're not good enough to get it done as a team, you're not good enough to get it done, and that's how it goes. It, it Nonetheless, it's, it's very sickening to see that guys like Juice, Kittle, B.A., Purdy, Shanny and Lynch, who built all this, built this culture. Guys like Juwan Jennings were such team guys. Talk about guys who are all effort all the time. Juwan Jennings plays like a man possessed. And I know they're probably going to retain him. He's a restricted free agent. I assume they're going to shell out the money to keep him and pick him up. I hope they make him a bigger part of the offense next season because he's one of those guys who can go up and get a 50-50 ball. I'd like to see him get some shots down the field. His route running ability, his ability to create separation, kind of a different topic for a different time. But I hope he takes that next step in a 49er uniform next season and starts converting on some big-time chunk plays and gets a little bit more feature in the offense. There is only one football. That's kind of the problem with so many weapons on offense. So he kind of gets pushed back to the side sometimes. But man, when he's called upon to make a play... When has he let us down? Can you remember a time when Jawan Jennings dropped a football? I can't. That guy is so nails, so clutch. He'll block the opposing player into the Gatorade, as we saw in the Packers game. Those are the type of dudes that get you into a Super Bowl. Um, and I wish we could have won one for him, but unfortunately was not meant to be. But again, the Niners take the lead 16-13. to it wouldn't be a playoff game or a 49er game in general this year if Jake Moody uh, didn't have something happen on special teams. Now, whether this was Jake Moody's fault or not remains to be seen. The broadcast seemed to think it was his fault because it was a low ball. Uh, but nonetheless, he had that extra point blocked. Just one more detail or nuance where the Niners fell short, right? And it, that was kind of the theme of the game was the Niners were clear-cut the better team overall. But when it came to the nuances, fine details, critical junctures, Kansas City rose above. All right, so Kansas City responds with a drive of their own, this time to tie the game 16-16, another Butker field goal. And now we have a critical point in the game. And, and, and this drive, of all the film I watched, this one probably hurt the most to watch because of how it ended. On second and medium, the play before the double slant play that ended in incompletion, Niners take the lead, 19-16. Second and medium, they ran play action, delayed tight end leak 
to the right side of the field. I thought everybody made, you know, the, the internet made a big deal on third medium where Brandon Ayuk was wide open um, at the number two, and he dry, decided to throw at number one. And when I say number two, number one, I'm not saying like the literal number. It's when you paint the picture of an offensive formation, you count outside in in terms of receivers. So the farther most receiver on farthest most receiver on the outside towards the sideline is the quote unquote in defensive terms the number one receiver. The next guy after that, number two, and then the next guy after that, number three, and then usually because you know just based on there's eleven guy only eleven guys and six uh, skill players. If there's a fourth receiver to that side and again you're cutting the the field in half right and it starts again on the other side of the center usually the four if there is a fourth receiving option it's the running back for example three receivers to one side you have one two three running back also to that side let's say it's shotgun so running back would count as that fourth eligible receiver fourth receiving threat so you have Ayuk lined up at the number two he was wide open on that third down Absolutely should have gotten him the ball. Didn't. Tragic. But the play before that, they ran play action. If Brock Purdy throws a pass that leads George Kittle, they have a first down right there. And they don't even need to go to that third down. Now, he did have a defender in his face. But man, it's the Super Bowl. You want to win a Super Bowl, you have to make those game-changing plays. And he was fully capable watching the film all year. It's not like he's a. this is a shortcoming. It was uncharacteristic. And he went play action. I think, and, and this is where we have to be mindful. We're not, we don't know how Brock is taught to read, right? Where his first read is, where his eyes go initially. So he might be, it's second and medium. So what's my thought process as a quarterback? I don't need the first down right now. So if I can get a chunk play down the field, that's where I'm going to look first. And I think that's what happened. And by the time he came back to George, it was too late. He throws the ball, and there's no gain. Now you're forcing the third and medium. So in the final analysis on that particular play, I don't put that all on Brock Purdy. He wanted to get the ball downfield. I don't blame him. I don't think that is a shortcoming. If he somehow reads George first right off the bat, he gets the ball early enough to him to get a first down. But again, we don't know the read. I'm I'm pretty dang sure he was trying to look downfield. Again, second and medium. Even if you fail, you have third and medium to then convert again. That is kind of football 101 or quarterbacking, offensive philosophy 101. Then you have the third and medium. As we said, pass gets batted down. They have to settle for a field goal. And it just, it's stomach turning, right? It's absolutely, it was very hard to rewatch, let me tell you. But you got to do it. You got to break it down. You got to find out what happened. And they failed to capitalize on yet another opportunity. There was an opportunity this game to score 35 points or more in this game easily if they buttoned up a little bit more on offense. But they didn't. And that's what football is about. It's those little nuances, little plays that lead to the end result. So now the final drive of regulation, Kansas City ties up the game and is forced to overtime. This is for me where the beginning of the end kind of started for Steve Wilkes. Um, it may have already been written based on how things you know went down in, earlier in the season. Tough, tough deal for him, as we noted in the last episode. We broke that all down. 
you haven't listened to it, go ahead and give it a click, give it a listen. Um, but this for me is where Steve Wilkes is asked to make a stop and he definitely played it conservatively. Played for overtime is how I dissected the coverage. The coverage got soft. I get it. Listen, this is not the drive I'm going to hold against Steve Wilkes, but I will say that it was a little too easy. I think given the philosophy was in the right place, it's like, look, the last thing we need, especially when, if you're Wilkes, you got your you-know-what chewed out by Shanahan. Um, I don't know that Shanahan screed him around. I'm sure he wasn't happy. But if you remember the Minnesota Vikings game, you know, critical point in the game right before halftime, he throws an all-out blitz. They get burned on a deep route. But with the Super Bowl on the line, I just I think the coverage could have been a lot tighter. You can still play coverage where you're not. I mean, you don't have to play zero, right? You don't have to send the kitchen sink every time and play zero. But you also don't. You, you know, your corners have given you no reason to lack faith, given you no reason to play off coverage. They have shut down their receivers, shut everything down, like. For my money, and just given the pace of the game, I'm keeping I'm I'm keeping them pressed up or aggressive in that case, right? Keep a deep safety, keep two two deep safeties, but the coverage was really soft on this last drive, and ultimately it was just an easy dink and dunk down the field drive for Mahomes and company. They had opportunities to stop Mahomes. I believe he scrambled on this one as well, um, but luckily, hey, listen. Patrick Mahomes has done far worse things in other situations similar to this one, right? He's won games, right? He's taken the lead and won the whole thing. So they they keep him at three points. I certainly don't hold that in the final analysis on the defense because if you're telling me, you know, Mahomes has got X amount of time, I believe he had just, you know, just under two minutes in co with in change with like one or two timeouts, at least two timeouts, I think, maybe even three. And forgive me, some of these details fall through the cracks because on the coaches' film I watch, usually in, in, in years past, before every play, the camera showed the scoreboard where you could see the down and distance, the time in the game, how many timeouts, the exact situation. And with my subscription this year, the way they do all 22 film this year, it's just a straight running tape, literally hour and 31 minute running tape of the whole game. They never, they only showed the scoreboard like maybe twice during the whole game. So I have to keep track myself of what's going on down in distance, number of drives, all these things. I then have to keep track. So the game is tied and the Niners go to overtime, much made about how they were, the players did not know the new rules in overtime. Um, I speak for myself, and I didn't really know the, the new rules in overtime because it didn't. This is the, its first occurrence, right? It is the responsibility of the coaches to make sure that the players are aware of the rules. That being said, do I? It, it was it the end all be all for me? No. I, I I I mean, if if you know Purdy and company convert, and listen, I love Purdy, right? But he didn't. You know, he had a chance to seal the game, and they didn't. And that's why they're in overtime. So it wouldn't have been an overtime if they converted that third down and ran time off the clock and kicked a field goal to win the Super Bowl, right? So players didn't know the situation. I'm sure the coaches did. I don't think that really affected the outcome. 
the Niners choose to like to receive the ball. And listen, everybody sat at home and, and talked about how they believe that the Niners made the wrong decision. And for me, what a coach does on the sideline is he has the heartbeat of his team. He understands better than anybody what his team is feeling like, at the energy levels, all these things. And they just put everything on the table to stop Mahomes from winning the game in regulation. So they're gassed. They ended up giving up a touchdown to lose the game for the Niners anyway when they were rested and they still gave up a score in a touchdown. So either way, I'm looking at it as probably likely Chiefs get the ball first. They go ahead and score a touchdown, and now the Niners. Now, I know, like, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. You go, at least they know, right? At least they know. Like, I get that. But momentum is real in football. The heartbeat of the team is real in football. The defense is gassed. You need to give your defense a break because you have faith in your offense to go get it done. And I get it. Like, if the Niners score, the Chiefs still have that opportunity. But that being said, it just, for for my money, I didn't have a problem personally with the decision. I understood the decision in overtime to take the ball first. I I don't disagree with people who would go other the other way but it's not like they just made a boneheaded decision like the defense was obviously just out of they're running on empty and they probably would you know give up a touchdown most likely I don't know for a fact but they probably do just based off Wilkes's play calling it's probably not going to be that aggressive but again you have to have as the head coach I trust that Shanahan had you know his his thumb on the heartbeat of the team at the time and he made the decision that was best for the team. But again, let's let's run the the other scenario back the other way. Let's say they gave the ball to the Chiefs, the Chiefs go down and score a touchdown. Now you're giving Spagnolo, I mean, uh, for a guy that likes to just, you know, throw the kitchen sink, so to speak, right? Could you imagine Spagnolo? His team is up 7 in overtime. If they give up seven, then they get the ball back, right? To score, to to take a field goal, any kind of score wins the game. You're basically giving Spagnolo like a free pass to call a super aggressive game, get deep in his bag. He has nothing to fear at that point. Spagnolo with nothing to fear, with nothing to lose, essentially, even if he calls an all-out blitz, cover zero, they blow it, they give up a touchdown, the game's still tied. So I really don't have a problem with taking the ball first because, again, your defense, listen, if they gave up that touchdown after the field goal in overtime that the Niners scored and they looked as gassed as they did then, I can only imagine how gassed they would look for the first drive of overtime, so I didn't have a big problem with it. That being said, the Niners take the ball first. They drive down the field. It's extended by that penalty on third down that extends the drive and really kickstarts the drive early on against the Chiefs. They go down, and once again, third and medium. This time, the protection fails Purdy. He doesn't have time to get a throw off. He had Ayuk in the end zone. He had Juwan Jennings on the pivot route. 
springing free, getting open, creating separation. If he has a clean pocket or just a half a second more to throw the football, the Niners are up seven points. Can't be too confident with Jake Moody missing extra points and getting extra points blocked, right? But it would be a different story if they could protect a little better. And listen, Feliciano, the one injury that really got the least spotlight for my money was when they lost Feliciano and had to put Burford in for a number of plays and how that affected the protection and how that gave Kansas City D-line and pass rush an edge. So the miscommunications, and, and so to speak, it was not on McKivitz after all. The Niners, you know, Feliciano and, and Burford went on Twitter and kind of cleared that up. It was on the center guard, and now you're settling for three instead of scoring a touchdown. So three points, they go up three. Then Kansas City on the next possession scores the touchdown. That wins them the Super Bowl. And this is the drive for me where... The calls on the field didn't really make sense from a defensive standpoint. I I didn't really like them. Not that they didn't make sense, but I didn't like them. And there was a play where they had, it was like fourth to last play of the game. was like a third and short. This is the drive for me. You know, obviously they go up and they go down. They score the touchdown. I'm not going to say this is the drive that made Kyle Shanahan decide that he was not keeping Steve Wilkes. But definitely the, the calls for me weren't good enough. And you have another drive where Steve Wilkes is calling, you know, cover zero, giving obvious looks. You know, for the longest time, I couldn't put my finger on what it is exactly I didn't like about his pressures. But I think I've nailed it now. For me, what I don't like about his pressures is that he doesn't have any pressures out of a base look, if that makes sense. He doesn't, you know, every time he draws up a pressure, he's got guys lined up in the line of scrimmage, inside backers, mugging the A-gaps, standing in front of the A-gaps on both sides of the center. You know some kind of blitz is probably coming. So it's kind of like alerting the Kansas City O-line, hey, we got to change something in our pass pro to account for this. Whereas... If you look at Spagnolo's pressures, there's a nice package of pressures where, you know, nobody looks like they're they're coming for the quarterback or blitzing, but all of a sudden you have a DB in the slot coming off the edge. All of a sudden you have Tranquil coming up the middle. All of a sudden the disguise is the difference there for me. You have to have disguise be such a huge focal point in the way you play defense in order to play great defense at great times at critical junctures in the game. So not happy with the defensive play calling the last couple of drives. Overall, obviously, the defense wasn't the reason they lost. But there you have it. That is the full game breakdown of Super Bowl 58. What happened in terms of grades? Let's hand out grades for the game. So quarterback, I would say B verging on a B minus. It's not a strong B for me with Brock Purdy. I think he played good, not great. He certainly had some nice throws. He came through in clutch moments later in the game as he's done all this postseason. So the clutch gene is there. Any questions about if Brock Purdy isn't clutch or not, I think have been answered. But he certainly had his opportunities to put the game away. He certainly, you know, from a footwork standpoint, he got a little heel clicky. And what does heel clicky mean? When he gets in the back of his drop and he steps up, his feet come together 
and that messes up the launch point of the football when he resets and tries to throw the ball. Usually he has a big base, A-plus footwork. He got very heel-clicky for me in this game. I'm sure he will absolutely clean up the footwork in the offseason because he's known for good footwork. Like He has incredible technique and fundamentals. But as you see other quarterbacks, as we've seen with other quarterbacks, as I've seen with other quarterbacks, you certainly turn into a little bit different version of yourself in the postseason when the pressure's turned up. All of a sudden, the technique kind of breaks down just a little bit. You get a little more heel clicky. You get a little bit more. Um, the, the footwork isn't as clean. Everything is just a little bit less clean. And that's why guys like Brady were such animals in the way they attacked the offseason and cleaned up their technique and always were trying to perfect their technique because they knew it was not about the regular season. It was about who you are in the postseason. Can you have great technique and and great fundamentals and make the right reads and do the right things in the postseason? That's what the difference is. So Brock Purdy, if he converted those opportunities and obviously sealed the game, I'm giving him an A. Certainly not perfect. A few bad passes here and there, including one that probably should have been intercepted over the middle. He's trying to get Debo across the middle, and it was just a poor, poor decision, poor ball, turnover worthy play. But overall, I think he showed up in big moments, played well. Running back, no complaints about CMC's game. He only averaged 3.6 yards a carry. You'd like to have seen him get a little bit more in the in the ground game, but it just wasn't there, right? Like, I don't put that on Christian McCaffrey. That's more the Kansas City Chiefs just rolled the dice, pushed their chips in at the poker table, and said, we are going to stop the run. We are not going to get beat by the run game and allow them to run the football. I think if you put Barrett, you know, shoot, you put Frank Gore back there, you put any of the great running backs, it's probably going to be the same result because Kansas City's front seven uh, is, is that good. Tight end, I gave a B, George Kittle, and you might be saying, how could that be? He's only, he only had like four yards receiving or something like that. Kittle was number one, playing hurt. Number two, he blocked incredibly incredibly well he played you know played really hard played so well in pass protection there was a lot of times they kept him in protection to give Purdy a little bit more time and y'all I'm telling you that ain't normal for a tight end to block that well in pass pro he played like damn near like another offensive tackle in pass protection and there might not be another tight end in the league that can do that so not a big factor in the passing game, but he also had that critical fourth down, right? Fourth and three to extend that drive and score a touchdown. So didn't result in a, in a lot of passing yards. Again, are they scheming up ways for him to get up? And are they, is he a focal point in the game plan? Those are other factors too. So things that he can't control, but overall, I think he gets a B for, for my money. Wide receiver position, B minus. For me, this is a lot to do with the Niners receivers. They did not win their routes enough for me to give them like a B, B plus A. This is more on Debo for me. Like there's a lot of times where he got pressed on the line, pressed at the line and just kind of quit on the route. And that's tough to say because again, we love Debo. We love him, but the film is the film. The effort for me just wasn't there. B, A, you know, Brandon Ayuk certainly brought this grade up, if anything, and I think he played well enough to win. He created separation. He did a lot of the right things. Juwan Jennings did well. But again, I think Debo brings down the grade to about a B-. minus. O-line play. 
Ooh, this is this is tough. This is really tough for me, but I'm gonna have to go with a C plus for O line play. I think they gave Purdy time to throw at times, but very inconsistent. Made huge mistakes when it mattered. Very average performance, and certainly a very poor performance at critical junctures in the game. I think the C plus grade is grading favorably there again taking into account what they were asked to do, the total body of work of pass protection during the game. I thought they did an adequate job at times and then at critical junctures kind of fell apart. So C plus over at O-line. Going to the defense, D-line, A plus. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you can ask the D-line to, to play any better. And that's pretty, I'm not, I'm not going to even jump, dive into it. They were getting pressure. Chase Young played his best game as a 49er in my opinion. The D-line showed up, Javon Kinlaw, Nick Bosa. They were all up in the backfield all game, giving it everything they had. I don't know what more you could ask from the D-line. Linebackers, B-. minus. Now, Fred Warner made up for a lot of things, and I think Fred Warner played really well. As soon as Greenlaw went down, I had shades of or PTSD like I was watching the Bowman injury all over again in Seattle. And that sinking feeling and that really just terrible, terrible feeling of seeing him get carted off the field. Really tragic, really horrible injury for Dre Greenlaw. We obviously wish him a speedy recovery. So hard to see him go down. And when he went down, it was a huge loss. Burks and Flanagan Fowles stepped in for the most part. And, you know, I thought they did an okay job, but... Certainly, they were you know they they were slow in the run reads at times. Coverage was really tough for those two, and kind of brought down the overall position group grade. Whereas I would say if you were to grade Fred Warner, I'm going a minus for Fred Warner, but the rest of those guys, it's it's really a C plus. So tough look, tough break, horrible injury. That's it for the linebackers. Corner. Ward and Demo were going with an A+. Those dudes shut it down. Those dudes were a part of the run fit. Those dudes played absolutely well enough, as well as they probably could have played to win a Super Bowl. Really impressive game from those two. I'm excited to have those two again, once again, under contract for the 49ers next season. Safety. I gave it a B for the safeties. I thought... You know, Jair Brown obviously coming up with that interception. They played some pretty good coverage for most of the game, but also had some critical mistakes in coverage. Logan Ryan and Jair Brown, it looks like they both made some mistakes in coverage. Maybe it isn't on them. And I, what plays am I referring to? There was a play where Kelsey went spring free wide open in the middle of the field late in the game, and, and Logan Ryan was nowhere to be found. Maybe it's not on Logan Ryan. Maybe it's on somebody else. And it might not be on Jair Brown, you know, for his mistake on the touchdown after the Ray Ray fumble. Um, but it definitely felt like that, that those two things, those two question marks were preventing me from giving them like an A grade, something of that nature. Really didn't see them as part of the run fit. But again, it seems like one thing that that feels like that's come clear for me watching the film on the Niners defense it seems like the corners are a bigger part of the run fit than the safeties. I could be totally wrong, but I see the corners fitting up inside in the box so often, and I can't remember the last time I've seen a, the Niners safeties do that. So um, kind of interesting. Wish I could 
ask Wilkes that question myself. All right, two more grades to go. Coaching. Offensive coaches. So Kyle Shanahan for the play calling. I gave him a B. I thought, obviously, there's some way. I I think he could have run a little bit more full flow plays, you know, reverses. Not that he didn't, right? But obviously, running up the middle just wasn't working. And the Chiefs look lost in the sauce whenever they ran toss. Certainly, you know, they're you know they're big, bulky, strong up the middle, but when they had to run in space, that was where the Niners and CMC could find some lanes. You know, as far as the passing game goes, it was tough, right? But I think she, the only reason we're not praising Shanahan right now, again, there is that play where they went play action to the right and you know, Purdy tried to hit Debo down the field. The protection fails, but Debo's wide open. There's plenty of plays where Shanahan schemed guys open, in my opinions, and they just weren't able to convert. Certainly the final offensive play of the year where Purdy had to throw the ball away because there's pressure in his face. The call was outstanding. Two guys open when there are multiple guys open on any given play. It is a sign of outstanding offensive architecture. So I overall, as much as the result... Uh, it was not what we wanted. I thought that he schemed up. Again, this is the Kansas City Chiefs defense, right? Maybe not as good as the Ravens, but they're definitely in second. If, they're, if the Ravens are 1A, the Chiefs are 1B, he schemed up 30-plus points for the Niners to score. They were done in by penalties as well. So I just, uh, you know, after watching the film, it was more on the execution and not on the coaching so to speak now you could say that if a a player executes poorly it's on the coach well yes but that's you know speculation for my money there's definitely certain players at some point at some point there's the players have to take the onus on themselves to execute the game plan I, i i guarantee that they didn't scheme up the protection incorrectly in those critical junctures so that is a wrap for super bowl 58 Niners come up short once again. That is the story from drive to drive uh, to the grades to everything that entailed and went into the film that was Super Bowl 58. In closing, it w- obviously it was one of the tougher games I've ever had to watch. Rewatching it was even tougher. And certainly the Niners had a chance, a great chance, multiple great chances to win this game. And going into the offseason, you know, we're going to do a a show detailing like the offseason plan and what they should do going forward and things of that nature. But this team was good enough to win a Super Bowl talent-wise. Execution-wise was another story. Another year of this team being together, maybe the result is different. So my glimmer of hope for 49ers fans is Brock Purdy's only 24 years old. I think 26 or 27-year-old Brock Purdy probably wins this game. With that much more experience, with that many more off-seasons of work, sharpening his game, he would have been good enough to win the Super Bowl on Sunday. Now, when you're that young, you're you're not going to be perfect, and he certainly wasn't. He certainly, all that being said, the Niners are only in the Super Bowl because of Brock Purdy and his ability to extend the play and make plays as he did versus the Lions in the NFC Championship game. I'm excited to see what he does with a full offseason of work, 
getting himself better, getting his body in better shape, the technique, everything you know he's going to go to work and go to town, attacking the offseason and whatnot. As far as the roster goes, if the Niners just straight up run it back as best as they can. Now, a lot of free agents at D-line, they're going to be missing Dre Greenlaw. I, I believe with a few tweaks and a good draft and a good hire at D.C., this team can be right back in the Super Bowl. And the one good thing is, so far, we don't know how things are going to turn out for the NFC, but certainly it plays into the Niners' favor that they are in the NFC. It is weaker, in my opinion, than the AFC, the teams in the AFC. Now, the draft could change things. Free agency could change a lot of things. Trades could change things. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for the Keysar Podcast, I'm your host, Adam Kadura. Thank you for staying with me for the entirety of this show. I really and sincerely hope you enjoyed that breakdown. I had a lot of fun, a lot of pain, I suppose, but mostly fun breaking down all the film, trying to put together and then putting together a complete picture for y'all as best I could to help you identify exactly what happened in Super Bowl 58. Until next time, this is Adam Kadura of the Kizar Podcast, signing off.